0: Happy release Friday, Sophie Catherine here for the Change in the Narrative podcast. So happy to have you along for today's solo episode. All right, you asked for it, you said, Sophie, we want to know more. So today I'm doing a solo episode called Arranged Marriage and Cult Dynamics. Today's episode is really about the foundational teachings in the cult that I was raised in around arranged marriage and how all of that came about. As always, so thankful that you're joining in for this episode and let's dive in. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Change in the Narrative podcast. So happy to have you for today's solo episode. So when I first started to share my story on the podcast, I got a lot of feedback about the cult that I was raised in. And it's not always the easiest thing to talk about because, you know, that part of my life is so far removed. But I know it's a huge part of my origin story. So I really want to get into more detail with you today, especially when it comes to the teachings around marriage and how I was raised to view relationship. And, you know, as I've talked and shared my story, there's been a lot of times I've been very confidential with some of the details that I've shared, but I'm more comfortable today to share a little bit more in depth about who founded the cult, the logistics of it, and how it came to be. So, uh, last week I watched a documentary called Hillsong, A Mega Church Exposed. And I don't know if any of you have seen it, but this was a church that I really looked up to. Hillsong was a church that I really, um, their worship music really was a huge part of my healing journey when I was coming out of the cult that I was in. And as I watched this documentary, I just realized like you can, you just don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You just don't. And I think that the scariest part is, is that The cult that I was raised in, you would have never known it existed. And when anybody ever hears that I'm in a cult, the first thing is, oh my God, were you in one of those cults that was on that Netflix documentary or that was on the Discovery Channel? And the bottom line is, there are so many toxic religious systems out there. And, you know, I looked at Hillsong as this amazing Christian church that was nothing like the cult that I was raised in. But as I watched the documentary, you really get to see how. There was so much greed and control that was wrapped up in this religious system, and that's really why I wanted to do this episode today. So the cult that I was raised in was founded in upstate New York in the 70s, and from what I have gathered from my aunt, um, it was founded by three different people, and this other man comes along. This man has since passed on, so I'm more comfortable sharing details about him, but his name was Bill Ward. And Bill Ward had this, what he said was a revelation from God. He did not align with these three original founders of the church that I was raised in called the Tabernacle. And he ended up pushing these three men out and kind of taking charge of it. So the years that I was involved in this church slash cult, it was run by the founder, Bill Ward. And bill had very specific teachings about very specific things but on this episode today i'm going to go into the details of the engagements the arranged marriages the the whole idea around how i was raised to view life in my future because that was really to me the root of the teachings of this particular cult from a very young age marriage was really the only option for me and when i say marriage was an obsession i mean that's an understatement Everybody was talking about marriage, all the girls could, that's all they could think about. And I mean, I remember at nine years old, my friend, one of my friends asking me how many babies I wanted to have. And in a lot of ways, when you're raised with this mentality of becoming a wife at such a young age, um, you kind of lose childhood, you know, your whole mind is wrapped up in adult things. And, you know, I was the youngest of three sisters. And When I was 11 or 12, my first sister, my oldest sister started the process of getting married. And, you know, there was an obsession with it. There was the obsession with the arrangement of the marriage. And they had what they called betrothals. So you didn't actually have an official engagement. It was called betrothals. And uh, the whole idea around this would be, I'll give you like a hypothetical. So, Sally feels that John is gonna be her husband, okay? She goes to her parents. I think God showed me that John's my husband. All right, Sally, well, let's start praying, okay? Well, for a prayer time goes by, the parents then approach John's parents and say, Sally feels that John is her husband, we'll pray. Then the two families take this idea to an elder. It's all agreed that this is gonna be something that's gonna be official. So the agreements are set, and the decision is made that Sally and John are gonna get married, but no one knows, so super secret. No one would know who was getting married, no one would know that Sally and John were gonna get betrothed until it was announced before the congregation. And that was really stressful as a kid growing up, just because if you liked somebody and you didn't know if they were gonna marry someone else, there was no communication, it was all very hush-hush. So you'd see the person, like the the daughter, usually the father of the daughter would make the announcement before the church that this couple was getting married and of course there'd be a huge celebration time. And I feel like it was always evolving and changing these certain teachings about marriage, but it was the obsession and you just wanted so badly to be desired. And I wanna get into like the Disney princess complex I was raised with the belief that if I did everything right and I followed the teachings and I was a good girl and I kept my heart pure and I dressed modestly, that I was going to find my true love. It would be perfect. It wouldn't be dysfunctional. It wouldn't be any of those things because it was the perfect way. It was God's way. And... I bought into this idea, you know, I bought into this idea, okay, like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And the reason I say the Disney princess complex is because growing up, this idea that this Prince Charming is going to come save you, like, this debilitates a lot of women. I feel like more young girls, and I think that's happening now, but in my generation, it was a very different belief system. You know, it was your husband's going to come for you, and you'll have a perfect life, and it will be a fairy tale. And humans are humans, people are people, and that's just not realistic. So the expectation was set that we would have this perfect life. You follow the formula, you follow the teachings of Bill Ward, and everything's going to come to fruition. But that's not what happened. I know that I could literally take individual teachings of this cult and dissect them into ten different episodes each, because it was so intricate. the The ideas and the belief systems and the teachings were so heaped in control, and um, it was there were no there was no freedom for the kids involved that were getting married. And I say kids because they truly were kids. There was one girl in the particular cult that I was raised in that got betrothed to someone at fourteen. Now, they waited a couple years till she was of legal age, but still, you're 14, and you're already promised to somebody, and in that marriage mindset, it robs you of your childhood, and lots of 17-year-old girls, too, and that wasn't just in the cult that I was raised in. I mean, I saw that when I got out of the cult and joined a new church that was technically mainstream Christian, a lot of young people getting married before they know who they are, and we could go down that rabbit hole and but for the purpose of this episode i'm just going to kind of get into the logistics of the cult dynamic that i was raised in so we can go back to the dynamic of sally and john and this whole agreement so okay so stage is set the betrothal is announced everyone knows the elders set a specific time frame with how long that they could be betrothed before they were married so And that changed. That was kind of a, a, kind of a, I think, exploratory phase for the elders because this was a new church and this was, these were young people. These were like first generation kids coming up in this teaching system. So when my first sister got married, I think it was like a nine month, six to nine month window. But when my second sister got married, it was down to three months. And the reason that they taught that was because for them, they said there was too much uh, temptation for this couple to enter into sin so therefore the time had to be accelerated you could not be alone with this person um, you know that the, the, everything was so controlled the weddings were controlled so you have a certain amount of time that you're allowed you know before you can get married and all of your interactions with this person you're marrying are highly highly um, supervised by other adults and other people so there wasn't even really a courtship period right it was just okay you're betrothed you're getting married in this amount of months it's you know and then the wedding the weddings were so dictated by the elders and when I say down to what was worn how people were chosen to be in bridal parties bridal parties were taken out because there was always this teaching in the cult that I was raised in that you didn't want to show favoritism. Favoritism was sinful. Favoritism was not nice. Um, They wouldn't even allow us to say a friend was a best friend. You couldn't, you could not title anybody because we were all on the same same level playing field. Everybody was the same. Nobody was above anybody else. So to pick a bridal party or groomsmen was considered, you know, isolating. So there were people that were naming their their groomsmen and their, like, all the, on brides, un-bridesmaids and on groomsmen like on like it was unofficial, <laughs> like the loophole around all of this. No music at the wedding. Uh, they didn't want people dancing. That was another thing. They didn't, they're like, we don't want people dancing and being inappropriate at the reception. And the wedding wasn't even a wedding. So as this evolved over time, then the wedding became um, just in the middle of a church service. I honestly don't understand why the control was so heavy especially around marriage but for me like I that was my life my life was I need to appear in a way that attracts a husband because that was my goal you know but I had no other way of looking at life that was my sisters had gotten married I was still at home and you know, I'm watching all this stuff. But there were certain things that were said at that point that I remember thinking to myself, this is really fucked up. And this was one particular thing, I will never forget it, I think I was probably 15 or 16. So both my sisters are married and out of the house at this point. And there was a lot of uh, sermons on weddings and marriage, spaghetti strap dresses like uh, brides shouldn't be wearing dresses that show too much of their shoulders and cleavage and you know, And there was one point said, you know, once the couple gets married, if the wedding is not consummated within two weeks, they need to seek counsel from the elders because something is wrong. And I, growing up in this mindset, guard your heart, be modest, be pure, wait for the one that God has planned for you. Okay, get married. Now you have three months. Now you have to get married. Now you have to have sex within two weeks. I mean, what a mind fuck, right? Right. The fuckery involved in the way that these teachings were established still boggles my mind, and it causes so much destruction for young people. And that is because we are humans. We are going to be attracted to people. There are things outside of our control when it comes to that. And when you are taught to just guard yourself and be so perfect, because you've got to do this thing for this person, you know, you got to like you got to attract this husband into your life, and you've got to be this perfect, holy specimen, so that you live this magical. Cinderella fairy tale princess life, it's not realistic. And the damage I have seen that cause throughout the years with people that have gotten married, you know, it's very destructive. And, and then you'd get to the point where there would be couples getting married, right? And then there were the leftovers, there were the people like me, who did not get chosen to go into marriage. And then you would be judged by the community for not being married. And I remember them being like, why isn't she married? Like her sisters got married at 19. Like, why isn't she married? You know, and here I am 20 thinking I'm like the old maid. Um, You know, I've got my TJ Maxx dress on. I can literally make an apple pie blindfolded, but I was not good enough. And as I was watching this Hillsong documentary, there were a lot of similarities between the way that couples were allowed to, to operate um, it was obviously a little different because I think they had a, they, they did not have these same teachings, but I felt really empowered to make this episode today because I've had a lot of people very interested in the cult dynamics and marriage was just such a huge focus of the teachings. So um, I just want to kind of go over more of it with you. It truly was like living in another time where normal societal rules do not apply to you. You're living in a whole other dimension. And I think that's why I so easily fell into the twin flame belief system because it was so similar to kind of in a way, and if you know anything about the twin flame journey, it's very much kind of heaped in like this spiritual religious kind of feel. So for me to fall into that made a lot of sense. Like this is the person I've been trying to meet my whole life. And, you know, it's funny because looking back now, it's like, even to record this episode for you tonight, and it's, it's weird. It's weird for me because it's so far removed from the life that I lead now, but it was huge, a huge part of my life for so long. And cults really do break you down, you know, and alter who you are internally. There's so much restructuring that happened to my psyche and to me, Um, that I had to work through. And it really did set me up for codependency. And, you know, this belief system that I had to be the perfect wife, I had to be perfect all the time. And I really had to let that go when I got married to my ex, because I knew that I had walked away from that perfect life. I think that was another hard thing that In my mind, I still believed that if I had stuck it out and I had done what I had needed to do, I would have attracted the perfect husband. Um, But I was so hurt from the fall through of my arranged marriage. And that's another thing that I want to get into. That really did affect me. Um, And I think if you remember in earlier episodes that my mother had read an email and deleted it and didn't tell me about it. And he ended up reaching out to me when I was engaged to my ex and um, I blew him off. I was really, really mean to him and I carried with that with me for a long time. I wouldn't say I was mean to him, I just had so much on my plate at that point that I could not deal with it. Well, fast forward, I'm in Washington and I'm going for management at Trader Joe's and I just felt that limbo phase of not knowing where you stand, the training at Trader Joe's to become a manager. You train and train and train and train and train And you may never become a manager. That's just how it is. They will train you even if there's not a position available in the store. So to be training for this promotion and not know if I was going to get it, every day felt triggering because it was taking me back to going to church every Sunday, not knowing if this guy wanted me, like that in limbo phase. And I went to this worship night with a friend at work. And I'm telling her my story, and she's like, "So, like, you never got closure, like you never got closure. And... I knew she was right and I remember I went home that night and I saw him as like a Facebook this guy that I was set up in an arranged marriage with Um, I saw him as like a friend request not a friend request but like a you know people you may know and I just got really emotional and I knew I had to reach out and send him a letter so I sent him a letter and I was like hey like I know this is super random and out of the blue but like I just need you to know like I never got the email you sent me and I'm really sorry my mother deleted it and never told me about it and um, I just like want you to know that I wish I could have read it, you know? It would have probably brought me a lot of closure. I said, "And when you reached out to me years later, I was so mean to you, but I had so much going on and I'm really sorry about all of it, but I hope you're doing well." And within the next day, he got right back to me and we started this 3-day exchange, and I am telling you the healing that happened for me in that time. He felt so bad. I mean, he said I'd always come up to see if you know, I would come see you at your place of work because I wanted to talk to you about that email. Now you never responded. And I said, Well, I couldn't because I'd never got it, you know. And we're talking and I was he's like, I wish I had just come up to you at church. I wish I had just come and talk to you and like not let the parents control it. And I said, I know, but we were so like held back by the belief system, you know, and and he's like, Well, you know, now I've met the love of my life and life's so great for me now, and it's like this is like the closure I needed. And I remember looking at my ex playing video games on the couch, and just thinking he's found the love of his life. Where is mine? You know, um, I just always felt like my life was a, like a just a full of missed connections, you know. And um, but that was so cathartic and healing, and it really released me in a lot of ways. When you strip young adults. Of freedom and control in their life, the mental effect, the the degradation of your, I don't even want to say ego, but like you're forming into a normal human being does not happen. When that choice is taken from you, that freedom, it really does fuck you up mentally. And it took me so many years to realize that I could set boundaries, that I could talk up, I could speak up for myself, that I could share how I feel. And this is what happens in cults. Cults strip you of your personality and they put in you what they want you to be. And choices were made that I would have never made had I not been in this group. And I know it's a part of my journey and I know that I agreed to come into this life and go through that experience. But it's so important to talk about because I think what I really want to bring home in this solo episode today is there can be a cult that you don't even know is a cult. Like, I think that's the scariest part is you would have met my family and I out and you would have never known. I probably would have said everything was great and wonderful, but that's how I was conditioned to speak. And that is what I was led to say. And I will tell you, holding on to truths in your life and covering them up just causes pain and addiction and issues that you have to be truthful and authentic in your life. And as I've started this podcast, you know, it's, it's very vulnerable, because there's so much involvement with my family, you know, and things are great with my family now, like they, we have a good relationship, but we don't talk about these things. (laughs) Like, my parents have since left, my one of my sisters has left, she left before I did. Um, But this system defined so much of our life. And I think that's the hardest part is when it's not acknowledged, you know. Um, This process of this podcast has been so eye-opening and amazing in so many ways. And it's opened the door for so many other people to share. So to jump back into the whole marriage culture, there were stories that I heard about couples in the tabernacle, the cult, um, that would make your skin crawl. There was one instance where I heard about a husband spanking his wife when she would not submit. This dynamic, this belief, this, there was so many times that once I left um, the church, the cult, I would try to get together with my oldest sister to visit and hang out. And she would always be like, we need the covering of our men. So if I wanted to get together with her, I would have to bring my ex-husband and she'd have to have her husband there because she said it was a covering of protection. And that was the whole belief system. like you weren't enough on your own as a woman. You had to have the covering of a man to protect you spiritually in conversation. Women really were so invalidated in this group, and they wouldn't allow wedding showers or baby showers because they were the ta- the teaching was, women getting together outside the covering of a man only would lead to gossip and inappropriate behavior. (laughs) Yes, yes, this was happening in the 2000s, okay, folks? This was happening when I was in my 20s, okay? It's hard to even explain how archaic it was. And that's why I wanna speak out because I know I am just one of millions of people that have had a similar situation. It may not be a cult that you've seen on Netflix. It may not be something you've seen you know, on Discovery Channel, but they exist, and I think that that's the scariest part. My cult that I would eventually come to find out was connected to a bigger cult. So my the founder, Bill Ward. Okay, when I was living in Washington, I just had this feeling that there's something more to this, okay? There's something more. And they would read Bill Ward's notes as if it was the Bible in the cult that I was in. And there were this there were these two specific things that I remember and I, I just intuitively need to Google. So they had certain classes that you could take at the cult that I was in, and they were called discipleship. You would make a two year commitment with a specific elder, you could only go to them for counsel for two years. And I ended up doing this process before I got married. Um After my arranged marriage fell through, I was like, I need higher spirituality. I need to be closer to God. So I signed up for discipleship. And as they were speaking, I started to question them. (laughs) These two, this elder and his wife that taught the discipleship class. And I remember an instance where I said, I don't see in the Bible where my entire life is meant to be a wife and a mother. Like, I don't see where this is in the Bible that you're telling me. And the pastor's wife, the elder's wife that was teaching the discipleship class, she just stood up and she said, well, you're denying the word of God because that's what he commands us to do. We're supposed to be wives and mothers. And I'm like, but it's not in here. And that would continue to happen where I would just start to question and push back on them. And they did not like it. And... Eventually, they started to teach the specific course and I wasn't even engaged or anything at this point, but it was called seven basic needs of a husband and seven basic needs of a wife. And they were Bill's notes, Bill Ward, the founder. And I remember thinking, that's kind of weird. Like, I don't know why it burned in my memory, but years would pass and I'm living on the West Coast and I'm just like, I got to get to the root Like, there's got to be more to this cult situation. Like, I've got to figure it out. So I Google seven basic needs of a wife and seven basic needs of a husband. And I uncover this pastor named Bill Gothard. He was the founder of the Institute of Basic Life Principles, IBLP, and ATI, Advanced Training Institute. So, Bill Gothard... Um, was super popular in the '70s, and he used to host these basic youth co- basic youth conflict seminars. And it was like this growing movement. It was like part of that patriarchal fundamentalist movement that I've talked about. And as I'm reading his teachings and everything around the background, it is eerily familiar to Bill Goth to Bill Ward, the founder of my cult. And I start to dive in and I start to realize that not only did the founder of my cult copy all his notes, but literally they were written down as if they were his. I, I find these books, I find all the notes, I find all of this information and I'm like, oh my God, not only was Bill Gothard a huge, huge cult leader, but he had 34 sexual assault cases against him of harassment and molestation. And he's been sued. There was an entire website called recoveringgrace.org where people were speaking out about what had happened to them. His teachings, his movement influenced the cult that I was raised in. And I knew I needed to tell my parents at this point. They were still very much involved. And I sent this email. I'm like, Mom, Dad, like, you need to look into Bill Gothard. He is the founder of this movement. He is a pervert. (laughs) Like you're in a cult, like you're in a cult and you need to look it up. And my father was like, no, we're not like, that's not what this is. It's always been really hard because I've always felt as though I'm the truth seeker in my family. I'm the truth teller. And being the truth teller is not easy. It's really not. And, but when you sit on this huge, huge truth and you cover it up, it eats at you. And I was listening to a podcast this week about A lot of the addiction issues and issues that we struggle with is because we feel like we have to lie in our lives, like we can't be completely authentic and truthful. And that was something I really struggled with for for, throughout the years, because it was something that I could just see so clearly. But it felt like no matter what I said, it wasn't seen or heard. So I had to let it go. I had to let it go. And eventually, you know, there has been acknowledgement from my mother. Yeah, that you know, like, yeah, we were kind of in a cult, you know? I think they do kind of recognize it, but it's still something that's not really talked about. So that's why I've started this podcast, because I feel like there's so many people out there. You may not have been raised in a cult. You may not have been raised in the same religious system or the toxicity that I was. But I think a lot of us have trauma we hide. A lot of us have things in our lives that we don't share because we're taught we can't. We're told to be quiet. We're told to, you know... Especially if you're a woman, I feel like women get so oppressed, especially in religious organizations. And that's why this is one of my huge passions is to speak out against against this because when we open the door and we're truthful and we share, things get exposed and mountains move and mountains move and things shift. It's very vulnerable to share the name of the cult leader today it's very vulnerable to share the name of the cult but i think these details are important and you know it's just something i've been very challenged to do is you know not worry so much about confidentiality because these are details that are important and people need to know you know this cult is still in existence and one thing i have noticed is that throughout the years whoever was in charge at the time that was how things were kind of modeled so when Bill Ward was the the main founder like the main operating voice of wisdom you know things were run very differently and as other elders have come into um, leadership roles because uh, Bill Ward has since passed he passed a while ago um, it's it's shifted like there's been an evolution of this church this cult um, throughout the years and the experience that some of my family members have are not the experiences that I had at that time. But I think what's important to acknowledge is, just like it can be said, not every child has the same experience growing up in a family, because a lot of it does depend on your birth order. The oldest sibling is not gonna have the same experience as the middle sibling or the youngest sibling. All three of those children have completely different childhoods. Just like me, my experience in this cult for 21 years may not be the experience that someone else had 20 years later, but the fact of the matter is it still happened and it still affects me every day. And every day I have to retrain my mind to view things in a different way because from one and a half to 21, all of these teachings were completely ingrained in me and formed who I was. But if we don't speak up against, against injustice, the things that I heard preached over the pulpit, the things that I saw accepted as behavior, it's not right, you know? And if we don't say anything and we don't, we're not a willing participant in exposing these things, then, you know, I feel like what's the point in that? So this this whole episode, I'm going to be bring it to a close here. I am going to put a and a um, at the bottom of this episode. If you do like this episode and you want to hear more Um, solo episodes on my experience in this cult, please let me know. Um, I know a lot of my listeners have reached out and asked for more information about this. That's why I'm doing this episode. Um, It's important, but the Change in the Narrative podcast is an evolving project and it's exciting to watch it grow. But these are things that I do feel like are important to share because I think there's a lot of people out there that have similar stories that need to have an outlet to share them. So thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do like it, just go ahead and hit that follow, like, or subscribe button wherever you do listen. And if you wouldn't mind giving me a five-star rating in the app, it really does help me to reach more people. Thank you. Thanks again so much for tuning in for today's solo episode. As always, if you do enjoy what you're listening to, if you wouldn't mind giving me a five-star rating in whatever app you listen, and also hitting that follow or subscribe button, you'll get all kinds of updates on when I release new episodes, and it really does help me to grow the podcast even more. If you'd like to reach out and connect with me, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me at Narrative underscore podcast. Go ahead and feel free to reach out and connect. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find me on TikTok at changingthenarrative underscore 111. As always, thanks again for tuning in. Can't wait to have you back again for another episode and go out and have a great weekend.